Will the congregation please open in their Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 23 this afternoon. Mark, chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. The title of our sermon is, Making God's Word of None Effect. Please join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we once again come before Thee. We thank Thee for the reading of Thy Word, for the singing of Thy Word, and the singing of praises unto Thee. O Lord, what a blessing it is. Lord, we ask for Thy help in preaching Thy Word. Help this minister to preach accurately. Help us all to hear Thy Word. Lord, speak to us by thy word, by the power of thy Holy Spirit, apply it to each of our hearts. Lord, that we might delight in Christ. We might be granted faith all the more. We might be helped in what it is to walk with thee, for thee, and by thee. Lord, let us not be ashamed of the gospel. Let's not be ashamed to name thy name. O Christ, thy name is above all names. Mm. It is the name of salvation, the name of the Lord of hosts. In it we trust, O Lord. In thee, Lord Jesus, is all our hope and all of our stay. Help us through the preached word to have strength supernaturally, to believe by the power of the Holy Spirit, to walk in thy paths for thy namesake. Lord, we desire to be thy people, to live as such out of gratitude and love to thee. Mm. We thank thee that we can read thy word, and in thy word and thy wisdom, Thou hast seen fit to give us these narratives of thy own life on earth, Lord Jesus. Please speak to us through them. Yes. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. Congregation, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Mark chapter 7, 1 through 23. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be, which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples, according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashen hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, 
As it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered. And many such like things do ye. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he said unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him, because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats? And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it. You may be seated. Amen. Making God's word of none effect. Dear congregation, this next section in the gospel of Mark provides us with a jarring and humbling picture of what human nature is actually capable of doing in matters of religion. Mm. It's easy for us to come to a passage like this and see it as useful for other people, but not for ourselves. I think this is especially true for those who consider themselves to be part of the Reformed faith, the Reformed tradition. Surely we have a safeguard, we think, against man-made religion. We stand in the tradition that broke away from the Roman Catholic Church, from the papacy, which had made God's word of none effect by adding commandments of men to it. We hold the sola scriptura. This is a safeguard for us. It's a doctrine which protects us against falling into these kinds of errors. Reformed theology rightly places a high premium on holiness, piety, and true religion over against false religion. But this can just as easily lead to man-made religion and vain worship as anything else, can't it? The issue is not one of outward matters, dear congregation. Whether that is what doctrines it is that we hold to, what traditions it is that we practice, what our liturgy looks like, what our lifestyle is that's adopted in this tradition, No, those aren't the main issues, these outward things. The issue centers around the heart of man. 
Reformed Christians can have all their ducks in a row, as it were, subscribe to all the right doctrines, confess a high view of worship, a high view of scripture, of practical living, Reformed experiential living, of the roles of men and women in the church. And yet, for all this, they can supplant inward religion with outward religion, just as well as anyone else. This past week, we actually had a very sad example of this in the case of Dr. Paul Maxwell, who was a professor at Moody Bible Institute, a graduate of Westminster Theological Seminary, a research assistant to Dr. Kevin Van Hooser of Divinity, Trinity Divinity School. And for some time, he was a writer, an author at the Gospel Coalition, at Desiring God. He wrote many other books as well. He seemed to be somewhat of a leader in Reformed theology for some time. Much of his writing and teaching centered around a Reformed view of masculinity, though. But, but starting in around 2017, his emphasis on Reformed masculinity took quite an effeminate turn, mm. stating that, quote, true masculinity comforts those affected by theological trauma and abuse, end quote. He stated that Reformed theology leads to abuse and to trauma, because it what? Highlights man's sinfulness and makes people feel bad about themselves. Quote, a sign of true masculinity, he wrote, is the questioning of the basic tenets of Christianity. That's a sign of true masculinity, is a questioning of the basic tenets of Christianity. Why? Because it demonstrates a masculine self-assurance and self-confidence which isn't afraid to call out the trauma which Reformed theology causes. This he said while being a Reformed theologian. Last year, he stated that Reformed theology, by focusing on the concept of moral responsibility for the individual, fails to see the, quote, real pathological effects of trauma, end quote. In other words, true masculinity, according to Dr. Maxwell, recognizes that the problem is not people's sin but the trauma which they suffered that led them to act out because of the trauma. This continued to progress until last week, when after posting a shirtless photo of his effeminately chiseled body, he posted a video where, while crying, he said, quote, What I really miss is connection with people. What I've discovered is that I'm ready to connect again. And I'm kind of ready not to be angry anymore. And I think it's important to say, he then cleared his throat, I'm just not a Christian anymore. And it feels really good. I'm really happy. Wiping the tears away. I don't bring this up just to bag on this guy. Nor to make light of apostasy. But I believe it serves as a visceral example of the dangers of man-made, outward, human religion. Maxwell held his doctrine of masculinity, a commandment of men, over the word of God, leading him to deny the word of God. He rejected the commandment of God in order to keep his own tradition. This led to his eventual apostasy. 
his religion certainly honored God with the lips, as his PhD from Reformed seminaries testified, while his heart remained far, far from God, unaffected. This is the danger of a man-made religion, adding laws to God's word. It makes the word of God of none effect. In our passage before us, let us consider three points. First, the state of Jewish religion at the time of Jesus Christ. The state of Jewish religion in Jesus' day. Second, vain worship. We'll look at what vain worship is. And third, heart worship. What true or heart worship is. First, the state of religion, of the Jewish religion in Jesus' day. In our text, we read that at this time, the time of Jesus' ministry, Pharisees and certain scribes, that is, the religious leaders of the day, the seminary professors, the pastors of the day, came unto Jesus and his disciples. What they go on to say and to do, as we read in our passage, demonstrates what the religion of the Jewish people had actually now become. They had become most concerned with the tradition of the elders, which they had received, which they then went on to hold actually above the word of God. What could be more ridiculous and deplorable than what we see in our passage from these leaders? The great teachers of the Jewish people finding fault simply because the disciples ate with unwashed hands. The disciples did not go through the traditional, the tradition of ceremonial washing before eating, as the Pharisees had taught you are to do. So they found fault. The leaders attached great importance to the, quote, washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and tables. In short, for them, the man who paid the most rigid attention to mere external observances of human invention and tradition was considered by the people to be the most holiest. The holiest of men was the one who observed these outward traditions most rigidly. How they fell in this day, the Jewish nation. Notice, first, that no nation on earth was more highly favored than the Jews. No nation on earth was more highly favored than the Jews. The Jews, as Paul writes, were blessed with more spiritual light than any other people. To them belonged the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Whose are the fathers? And of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is overall God-blessed forever. Amen. Amen. Romans 9, 4 and 5. Moses, Samuel, David, Joseph, Isaac, all the prophets, they all lived and died among them. The eternal God himself was incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ among them. He lived, walked, and died in their midst. No other nation. Yet, secondly, no nation has ever misused its privileges so greatly. The U.S. might be trying to catch up, but up till now, no country has ever, no nation ever misused the privileges it was given by God so greatly as did Israel. No nation ever had such spiritual privileges, and no nation ever so badly misused those privileges. 
so thoroughly forsook its own mercies and twisted them into arrows to shoot at God. Mm. J.C. Ryle wrote this, quote, Never did fine gold become so dim. From the religion of the books of Deuteronomy and the Psalms to the religion of washing hands and pots and cups, how great was their fall. No wonder, he writes, that in the time of our Lord's earthly ministry, he found the people like sheep without a shepherd. External observances alone feed no consciences and sanctify no hearts, end quote. The Jewish people, dear congregation, went from receiving God's covenant promises, his law, his love, his mercy, to turning against him. After declining into false doctrine for centuries, the Jews came to the point that when the incarnate God came to them, their incarnate God, in the person of Jesus Christ, this testimony can actually rightly be said of them. In John 1.11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. That's how far they fell. Pride, the Bible says, comes before a fall. And the Jewish nation had pridefully replaced the doctrine of God for what? The doctrines of men. Thus they fell through their misuse of grace and love from God. Third, remember that these Jews and their religion and how far it had fallen are not unlike modern man. They're not unlike modern man. How great a warning this is for us. I dare say, and I do believe it, that no group of Christians has ever enjoyed such an accurate understanding of scriptural truth as those in the Reformed tradition. How careful we must therefore be to use this truth rightly, dear congregation. They replaced God's word with man-made tradition. The Jews did. May this serve then as a warning for us that we never tolerate false doctrine for even a moment. Never tolerate it. People might call us mean-spirited, but that's okay. We should never tolerate false doctrine for even a moment. Many professing Christians have followed in the steps of the Jews, haven't they? Fulfilling Christ's profession over them, full well you reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition in verse 9. Dear congregation, as many of us know and many of us have even experienced, this very day there are, there are entire denominations in which the scriptures are rarely read. The gospel almost never preached. Churches in which the only religion to be seen consists of some strict liturgy, whatever that might look like. It might look like smoke machines, fog machines, and laser lights, or it might look like stuffy Anglicans. A liturgy can be strict, regardless of what it looks like. Mm. But churches that exist, the only religion that exists in them is consisting of some strict liturgy, the observance of man-made customs, people resting in what denominational title hangs up over, hangs up over their church, rather than in Jesus Christ. Many of these churches, which, like the Jewish church, began well, and, like the Jewish church, have now fallen into barrenness and decay. Dear congregation, we can never be too jealous against false doctrine. A little leaven, the Bible says, leaveneth the whole lump. We must earnestly contend for the faith that was for once delivered unto the saints. If we once tolerate false doctrine, we might not know how far it will go. 
or into what degraded state of religion we might fall. One Puritan said, once we leave the king's highway of truth, we may end up in the ditch. We can say that once we leave the king's highway of truth, we may end up washing pots and cups like the Pharisees and the scribes. Mm. This is why the Apostle Paul writes to the young pastor Timothy, telling him to give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, to take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrines, to continue in them and meditate upon them, to study to show thyself approved unto God, to preach the word and to commit the same pure doctrine with which Paul delivered unto him unto other faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Doctrine is important. Whenever we see the doctrines of man being taught as though they were the doctrines of God, it doesn't matter who it comes from. I know there's an 11th commandment in evangelicalism that even goes into the Reformed world where you can't criticize anyone who has a PhD, any prominent man who stands behind a pulpit or teaches behind a lectern. But it doesn't matter if they are replacing the word of God with the word of man and teaching as though it's doctrine from God. We should see it, recognize it, and call it out. Yes. It's a departure from true religion. Amen. If we were more faithful in this, if the church had been more faithful in this, especially here in America and in Europe, we wonder how many people may have been given repentance unto the acknowledgement of the truth and recovered themselves out of the snare of the devil. Like Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26. Our second point, vain worship. Vain worship. Now, vain worship is the thing which man eyes. Man eyes vain worship. That's what he looks upon. Heart worship is what God looks upon. With their lips, the Jews held to God's word. But by their actions of supplanting God's word with human tradition, they showed that their hearts were actually far from him. Man can only see that which is outward. And that is often the thing that he most values is that which he sees outwardly. A person may say all the right Christian things, do all the right Christian duties, and though he may be heartily accepted by his peers and by other human beings, he can remain far from God and rejected by him. This is demonstrated in our passage. Notice first, what made their worship vain was that they laid aside the commandment of God in order to hold to the traditions of men. That's what made it vain. As a case study, Jesus points to their laying aside of the fifth commandment. Honor thy father and thy mother, whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. Mm. This is where Jesus points the hearers to see just how far the Jews had fallen in their teaching. This was God's clear command. Honor thy father and thy mother. But, these teachers added to it their tradition. Namely, that if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say a gift to God, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. What does that mean? Jesus pointed out that if a man holds to this tradition, which was given as an interpretation by the Jews of the fifth commandment, that the Jews would suffer him no more to do aught for his father or mother. The man was freed 
from caring for his aged parents. If he took the money that he would have used to care for them and gave it to God as a gift. That's what's taking place here. That's what all this means. They're saying if you take that money that you're going to use to actually keep the fifth commandment and honor honor thy father and mother and give it to God as a gift, tithe it. Then you don't have to worry about taking care of your parents in their old age. Jesus does this. He focuses in on this to point out just how absurd their fault finding was of his disciples. That they were eating with hands not ceremonially washed. Rather than addressing whether there was any validity at all in their tradition of hand washing ceremonially before eating. He evades that whole issue and points to another one of their traditions based on the fifth commandment, a much greater thing. To condemn all of their traditions. All of their false doctrines. And the case of the giving of their money as Corban, they neglected the actual substance of one of the Ten Commandments and made it void. Jesus points out that they rejected the commandment for their traditions. Now, it's important to recognize that the Pharisees did not openly deny the obligation upon man to keep the Fifth Commandment, to obey the Fifth Commandment. And this is the true danger. That's the true danger. They didn't deny that you're supposed to keep the Fifth Commandment. They openly taught that it must be kept. But by adding the commandments of men unto it, they actually reinterpreted what it meant to keep the fifth commandment. Here's the issue. Here's the danger. They would have full-on rejected anyone who came in saying, you don't have to keep the fifth commandment. They would have rejected that and said, that man's heretic. Yet they still made it void. How did this happen? They acknowledged that it was, of course, man's duty to care for his parents with his earthly goods, but they still somehow evaded it, didn't they? They gave a loophole and made the commandment void by setting up a human tradition in its place, asserting a higher call to serve God in its place. Well, of course, they might have said, you should give what is necessary to your parents' welfare unto them. You should care for your parents, of course. They need worldly goods, and God has commanded us to do so. But would it not be a greater honor of the fifth commandment to give that money to God? Is it better to give gifts to your parents or to God? And we can see how enticing that could be. Yeah. We can see how enticing that could be. Well, do you want to give your money to this charity, or do you want to give it to God? It could easily entrap people. Now, sometimes we wonder... How can people actually buy into things like this? How can people get caught up in this kind of false doctrine, this obvious neglect of the commands of God, of Scripture, this misinterpretation of Scripture? How does it come to be that an entire denomination, an entire seminary, an entire sect, or an individual can stray so far from God's Word? That's a good question. Well, it's important to realize that it certainly doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. The Jews didn't begin teaching this stuff Overnight, right after they were delivered the Ten Commandments. Apostasy from the truth is most often a process, just like Eve's apostasy was. First, Satan brings Eve to doubt the clarity of God's word with his yea hath God said. Secondly, he undermined the truthfulness and the authority of God's word by denying it. God's word said, you shall die in the day you eat thereof. Satan says, ye shall not surely die. 
Third, he replaces God's word with his own doctrine. That the transgressing of God's commandment was actually a good thing. That the eating of the forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil would be good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and desired to make one wise. It's the same thing happening here. It's a good thing to break the fifth commandment and giving the money to God rather than your parents. Or like the apostate man that we see in Psalm 1, who first walks in the counsel of the ungodly. First, he's just walking among them. Then he stands in the way of sinners. And thirdly, he finds himself sitting in the seat of the scornful. He'd become one of them. So too, in the apostasy of these Pharisees and Jews from the commandment of God, the fifth commandment, supplanting the doctrine of God for the commandments of men. First, they added their tradition to the scriptures, simply just as a helpful or useful supplement. Just start as a supplement, not a supplantment. Second, they placed those traditions on the same level with the word of God, giving them equal authority. Because this is the only interpretation. This is what this means. So now it has the same authority as the word of God. Third, they began to actually honor these traditions above the scriptures. Seeing the keeping of their tradition to be the same as keeping God's commandments. And thus the breaking of it to be the same as breaking God's commandments. This is what made their worship vain. Namely, that it was man-made. Secondly, not only is man-made religion evil, it is also ineffectual impotent it is entirely without power to subdue the flesh and to make man holy that's one of the other evils of vain or man-made religion to make any tradition dear congregation no matter how good or helpful for religion it may be in itself to make that tradition equal with the word of god only makes the word of god of none effect it makes the word of God of none effect, no matter how good the tradition is, no matter how helpful it is. Christian duties put forward in Scripture, the Christian duties that are put forward in Scripture for us, when they are reinterpreted and reduced to simply additional commandments of men that need to be slavishly obeyed, they are then robbed of all of their joy and all of their effectuality. Tradition when viewed not as an aid to keeping God's word, but as equivalent with it, empties God's word of its power. Man's religion is certainly a poor substitute for God's religion. It's a poor substitute for God's religion. God's word is powerful. Hebrews 4.12, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. But man's word, when elevated to religious authority, is weak and powerless. Our Lord Jesus said in John six sixty three, It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Man-made religion appears outwardly spiritual though that's another one of the ways that it brings people in and keeps them there it appears very outwardly spiritual but it is only a fulfillment of isaiah's prophecy that such vain worship leads a people to honor god with their lips while their heart is far from him 
the Pharisees made their words to be the same as God's. They taught that to keep the fifth commandment actually looks like giving all of the funds that would be used to care for their fathers and their mothers to God as Corban. This appeared very spiritual and God-honoring. Instead of giving it to man, I'm giving it to God. How spiritual. But at the end of the day, it was only dead and dishonoring to God. So too with all laws, any laws which men add to God's word. They're always ineffectual. They're always empty of power. Puritan Walker Craddock wrote this, quote, Make not laws upon Christians where Christ hath not made any. Don't make any laws upon God's people where God didn't make any laws upon God's people. Dear congregation, whenever we make a law where God has not, it can only lead to abuses and to evil. Abuses and to evil. Mm. Think of it. How many people have been driven out of the church of God? How much division has rent Christ's own bride, even amongst the Reformed churches, due to denominational distinctives, that is, traditions, being elevated to the place of God's word? Our Reformed and Puritan forefathers, we have to admit it, imprisoned and killed each other. Imprisoned and killed each other for their distinctives, for their traditions. Why? Because they elevated them to the place of God's word. Evil simply breeds further evil. Evil breeds evil. The Jews replaced God's word with their traditions. And this led them to what? Killing Christians while thinking that they were actually serving God while doing so. We see this in the Apostle Paul, at that time Saul in Acts chapter 9. King Saul rejected God's commandment through Samuel, that he was to slay everything in the city for his own interpretation of it, his own tradition of it, his own commandment in place of God's. What was the result? The kingdom was rent from his hands and given unto David. How much evil has been done by Baptists pointing distressed souls to their profession of faith for assurance? Mm. In this one ministry I worked for, we would tell people that came forward, that rose rose their hand to receive Jesus Christ, prayed the sinner's prayer, to in the front of their Bible, write down the date that you were saved. And whenever Satan came, you heard a convicting sermon, Satan was telling you, you're not saved, flip open your Bible and reassure yourself that on that date, Jesus came into my heart. Or how much damage and evil has been done by pedo-baptists pointing souls to their covenant baptism when they were an infant as proof that they are Christian. Neither of these things are true. Legalism, while it appears outwardly spiritual, is actually lazy and powerless. It sets up a law which God has not given. Assuming that because certain traditions are followed, certain habits are obeyed, one's spiritual life is then therefore healthy. 
The Apostle Paul writes to the Colossian church saying this in Colossians 2, 18 through 23. Let no man beguile you of your reward by causing you to be subject to outward ordinances. Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using of them after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. I mean, it doesn't actually affect anything towards overcoming the sinful flesh. It does nothing in progressing holiness and sanctification. Legalism appears outwardly spiritual, yet it only has a form of godliness while denying the power thereof, 2 Timothy 3, 5. Now, it is certainly wise to employ means and methods in order to advance in godliness and put sin to death. It's a good thing to do. But we all know that we can have many safeguards in place, right? Many safeguards in place, many vows made, many resolutions written down, many plans and strategies discussed with loved ones, and yet still make no progress in sanctification whatsoever. It is wisdom for an alcoholic to avoid the bar. It is rejection of God's word to mandate that no Christian may have a drink. It is good that a Christian prays. It is to make God's word of none effect to command that he pray this many times a day in this direction and in this posture. It is godly that a Christian avoid corrupt company. But it is holding to the tradition of men over God's word that he never leave his house except for church. Hmm. It is good that churches have their own distinctives. If they believe they're biblical and they're helpful to people. But when they make them a law, they become a denial of God's word. It is good to sing the Psalms. But when you make that a law, and it's even okay to believe that you can only sing the psalms from the Psalter. I have no problem with that for my Reformed brethren believing that. But it is a rejection of God's word when you say that that is the only thing you can sing. Or that to use musical instruments is a denial of Jesus Christ's blood. And that your brethren in Christ who play a piano are in sin. That's when we elevate tradition distinctives, Mm. however good they are, to the level of God's law. Puritan Thomas Manton wrote this, Watson, sorry. Morality is a good staff to walk with among men, but it is a bad ladder with which to climb to heaven. Mm. Morality is a good staff to walk with among men, but it is a bad ladder upon which to climb to heaven. Man-made religion can never bring us closer to God. It is only damaging to the spiritual life. It takes the heart of man off of God and puts it on man. Third, last, heart worship. This is the thing which God eyes. This is the thing which God places emphasis on. Which God looks for. Our understanding of true worship, of the true worship of God must be governed by the first table of the Ten Commandments, namely the first and greatest commandment. 
Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Which Jesus says is the first and great, that is the chief and principal commandment. Matthew 22, 36-38. Now in our passage this afternoon, Jesus goes from displaying the error of the Pharisees to then getting at the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue. After correcting the false teaching of the Pharisees before the crowd, he then turns to more fully explain the truth of the matter to his disciples. We see this in a few different contexts. First, the primary issue is this, that the heart of man is evil. That's the primary issue at hand, that the heart of man is evil. Therefore, unless his heart be changed... Observing outward laws and traditions can do nothing to make a man more holy. Nothing. As Stephen Charnock wrote, Works make not the heart good, but a good heart makes the works good. The Pharisees rested in their tradition and preached that others should rest and trust in them as well. Namely, that if one observes the ceremonial washing of the hands before eating, he can be confident that he is spiritually clean before God and not defiled. If he does not wash, he's defiled and not clean before God. But Jesus goes on to show the error of such teaching. A man, according to Jesus, is not defiled before God because he does not observe ceremonial washing but because man is already inwardly defiled. In verse 15, he says, There is nothing from without a man, outside of a man, that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. So any germs or dirt on your hands, if it be not washed off and you eat it and you consume some some of it, that doesn't defile you before God. Rather, it's the stuff that comes out of you that defiles you, that's already within you. Perhaps it was their context in which they were raised, And their familiarity with the Pharisees' doctrine, nonetheless, the disciples fail to understand what Jesus is getting at. In verse 17, we read, When he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. Can you explain that a little more? What it means that not washing doesn't make us defiled? That's all we've heard our whole life. They were still without understanding. How could it be that this outward observance was irrelevant, Jesus. Jesus responds in verses 18 through 23. Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man by eating? It cannot defile him. That which cometh out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed what? Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Jesus says, all these evil things come from within and they are what defile the man. We may dress a recently deceased person in the finest clothing, but their corruption will soon enough seep through and destroy the garments. A man may observe all the outward laws of God and yet remain dead 
and transgressions and sins. All of the outward laws of God. Like the rich young ruler in the Gospels. We have an example of this. The moralist and the legalist, just like the young ruler, assume that their outward religion makes them good. When in reality, it only puts on display just how bad they are inwardly. William Gurnall comments, The young man in the gospel might have been a better man if he had not been so good. The young man in the gospel might have been a better man if he had not been so good. That is, good in his own estimate. Good in his adherence to man-made moral religion. Vain worship. His keeping of the outward law did not make him clean before God, did it? Why? Because as Jesus points out, he remained full of covetousness, full of pride, and full of love for the world. That's why he went away sad when Jesus says, sell all that you have, rich young ruler, moral man, and then come and follow me after you give it to the poor. He loved the world. He was proud and covetous. That was the issue. Had he not been so good, he could have been better. Until a person comes to see, dear congregation, truly see that within their own hearts exist the seeds of every sin, that they are corrupt and evil from their heart outward, they will never see that they are defiled before God. God has to show them this. They have to come to see it. It matters nothing what they do outwardly if their evil heart remains unchanged. We must be given a new heart in order to be clean before God. This is why Jesus says that a man must be born again. Why Paul says that all who are in Christ Jesus are new creatures. That the old man is dead and gone. And behold, the new man has come. All things are new. The new man of faith. The new man of love for God. A new heart must be given. One that loves God and one that hates sin. The evil heart cannot simply be covered up by good deeds. This is the substance of the new covenant, actually. Jeremiah 31, verses 33 through 34. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. The evidence that their sin was forgiven, their iniquity was forgiven and forgotten by God, was they given them a new heart upon which he had written his law. So it wasn't about these outward things they were doing. Now, a Christianity, dear congregation, that exists in outward forms, a Christianity that exists in outward duties, outward goodness, and in those things alone, is a damning Christianity. It's a damning Christianity. There must be what? The new birth. There must be the new birth, the new life, the life in Christ, a life of faith that can say with Paul, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Lastly, true worship is what? 
in spirit, that is, in heart and truth. Opposed to the vain worship of man-made religion, we must have true worship, dear congregation. True worship which is pleasing to God. Worship given to him in spirit and in truth. That means from the heart and in truth. Outwardly, the doctrine of the Pharisees appeared to give honor to God. That's why Jesus points to Isaiah's prophecy, this people honoreth me with their lips. But in reality, all their doctrine did, being not in accordance with the truth of God, not actually in accordance with his word, and their practice not flowing from a renewed heart of love and gratitude to God, all their doctrine ended up doing was prove that their hearts were far from God. That's what Jesus points out. Dear congregation, I believe that we are in a good way. I believe that we are in a good way. That we hold to the old paths. That we hold to the traditional views of doctrine and practice given to us by the Reformed churches. Specifically the Reformed Baptists. But these truths, dear congregation, must be combined with spirit if we desire to please God and to worship him rightly. We must examine our hearts in religion. Not only what we profess, not only what we do, but our hearts from which we do and say those things. When we come to scripture, when we come to the Lord's Day service, when we come to private prayer, to any Christian duty, 